A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Now, of course, you might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and you would be right, but then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Well, today we're going to be joined by the former Chief Minister of Guernsey, Jonathan Latoc. Jonathan combines his work in politics, in which he still serves, alongside his work as one of the pastors at Rock Community. We'll hear how he balances the two and which work is the more important. But before that... In last week's episode, I touched briefly on the idea of lament and how we can transform our grief about the state of the world into good stewardship of it. As the horrific events in the Middle East and their impact around the world continue to dominate our thoughts, I'd like to return to considering lament in more depth, thinking about why lament fits in with our calling to be stewards as we partner with God in his redeeming work. Lament in the Bible is described by Mark Rogop as the act of turning to God, complaining to God, asking for his intervention, even his explanation, and then trusting him. In the beginning, when God created everything, Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God put man in the Garden of Eden to take care of it and to look after it. Now, God didn't do this because he thought we humans could improve on his handiwork, which he'd already called good, which translates to infinitely perfect by our own standards. It's also not because God no longer wanted any responsibility and abandoned it all to us. No, it's more about his fundamental intentions for our relationship with him. That is, since we're made in his image, we are creative beings too, and he wants to actively partner with us in shaping his world. What a privilege. But with the fall came the disintegrating of our relationships with God, with each other, ourselves, and with the rest of creation. And so we lost sight of his original purpose. We can plainly see the consequences of that today, perhaps more so than ever. The verses, you will soon hear about wars and threats of wars. Nations and kingdoms will go to war against each other. People will starve to death. And in some places there will be earthquakes in Matthew 24 sound just like today's news headlines about as far as you can get from the Garden of Eden. Jesus said that these are some of the signs pointing towards his coming return. As those who follow him, he tells us not to be alarmed, but that doesn't mean that we shrug our shoulders. We should grieve at the brokenness of the world and we should take action to address this brokenness. Sometimes we can forget that salvation means so much more than the promise of eternal life for us as individuals. It is the ongoing restoration of the relationship between us, God, and the rest of creation. It returns us to our original purpose as God's active partners in the world, which is part of both our worship and our witness. Lament is a key part of how we respond. Just as God's heart is broken by injustice as his image bearers, we should also allow ourselves to be deeply moved and avoid hardening our hearts. Romans 8 verse 22 talks about how all creation is still groaning and in pain like a woman about to give birth. As with birth, the coming joy of new life doesn't really lessen the pain of the present and fully acknowledging that is important. Sometimes when things are overwhelming, all we can do is pray. And even then, we don't always have the words to express the magnitude and depth of the suffering that we are witnessing, including maybe right now. 
Well, N.T. Wright writes in a recent article for Time magazine about how we are called to share in that groaning. He reminds us that the prayers of those who pray in the spirit, even when, precisely when, they don't even know what to pray for, will therefore be formed, shaped into the Jesus pattern, the pattern of the cross, sharing the pain of the world so that the world may be redeemed. This is why we can't separate out faith and politics. Lamenting injustice in prayer is a form of stewardship. It is us authentically crying out at the tragedies in our fallen world. It's us trusting God, knowing that he hears our lament, literally feels our pain and ultimately has the answers. It's most powerful when we do this in community. We can look suffering squarely in the eye and not flinch, not bury our heads in the sand in despair and absolutely not give up on the goodness of God. The Bible says that when two or three believers gather in Jesus' name, he is there among them, himself interceding on behalf of humanity. Another example of how we partner together in God's redeeming work. The lament in prayer also spurs us to act. Only with the hope of Jesus' return can we acknowledge the brokenness of the world in prayer, then set out in full knowledge of our inadequacy to do some good, to actively set some wrongs right, in whatever small ways we can, with whatever political influence or authority we have been given. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. So to our guest this week, Jonathan Latoc is the Minister for External Relations for Guernsey. He's also former Chief Minister of Guernsey. Jonathan, it's a great blessing to have you with us. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Tim. It's great to be uh, to be here with you. We're honoured to have you. It was great to have a chat with you and you were in your role as Minister for External Affairs for Guernsey. You popped over the channel to to Bournemouth, the Lib Dem Party conference, and we had a cup of tea and a, a catch up then. But for the benefit of our listeners, um, it'd be really lovely to hear just the most important of all questions, which is about your faith, how how you came to be a Christian in the first place. Yeah, sure. Um, I love telling this story because uh, it's it does touch on i think a lot of a lot of people um but i was born to an underage mother here in guernsey in 1964 that's about as much as i know about my mother and my natural parents um i think uh certainly if abortion had been legal back then i wouldn't be here talking to you today mm. um but i was adopted by a couple who were in their early 50s who couldn't have couldn't have children they tried they'd lived through german occupation in the second world war here in guernsey not good health um medical provision obviously um so not sure why they'd done some fostering in the 50s never thought they could have their own child they adopted me um when i was 11 days old and they were a wonderful evangelical christian methodist couple my dad was organist at the local church they ran a small group in their home and I grew up in this incredible um, environment of joy love um, there was lots of humor very self-deprecating humor and when I was uh, just before my fifth birthday in fact my father was playing as as he tended to do the piano at home and singing early morning that was his sort of devotional time and uh, he was he was uh, playing some uh, i think it was scripture union uh songs and uh he uh was singing and one of them had a chorus that was into my heart come into my heart lord jesus mm -hmm. and uh, i ran to my mother who was peeling spuds <laughs> at the time and she and i said uh 
I want Jesus to come into my heart. Mm. And uh, she realized that something was happening and stopped peeling and <laughs> knelt down, prayed with me. And, uh, you know, I could take you back to the spot today. That was the beginning of it, certainly. Wow. Um, and uh, so yeah, I grew up in this environment. Uh, church life became harder, um, but I always had a, this home life that where Jesus was really present, mm. where there was a real knowledge that if we went through difficulties, my dad nearly went bankrupt as a as a grower in the 1970s. Mm. And he, he said at the time, you know, we need to fast and pray because I don't mm. know how we're going to make ends meet. Mm. Um, but that was that was how I came to know Jesus. And Jonathan, you you have spent, I think it's right, I'm saying twenty years leading a church. How did you straight away go into church ministry once you went through education, or was there something else first? Uh, no, I thought I was going to be a teacher. Really, I've ended up in unusual places. I often just say I'm just a, a fat organist trying to get to heaven, and um, <laughs> I end up in some un, unusual places. No, I. I, uh, I thought at one point, really, it would be teaching, and I started in that direction. And then it seemed that God called me into the civil service. I worked in London, married a London girl, um, and lived there for a while, um, mm. but then came back to Guernsey. Um, essentially, my parents were, were older, and uh, we thought we would be looking after them. But what happened was a little church, house church, you might call it, in the 80s had emerged mm. out of the Methodist youth group that I was part of. Mm. And they asked me to to lead it as as their as their full time pastor in 1989. So at some point in this period of time, you've you're um, an adult, uh, married, you're back in Guernsey, you're leading a church, having had a career in London. Um, the uh, lure of politics gets you. Uh, how did that happen? I think I've always been interested. Guernsey politics is a bit different than the mm. UK. Um, but my father was involved in the local politics here, which is which are like a count, county council sort of thing, but they're yeah. called, called Duzains. And so he used to come home with papers and things and he had his friends around. They would discuss things in Guernsey French, by the way, because I didn't grow up speaking English. They, right. they wow. spoke Guernsey French. So it was a slightly different language. But it was interesting because that obviously sowed something in me that we've got a responsibility as Christians to um, to be engaged in our society around and about. And mm. back when I was very young, most of uh, certainly the local politicians, but even in our uh, national government, if you like, which is called the States of Guernsey, um, mm. there were lots of, of Christians. But in the 90s, I became increasingly conscious as a church leader that there were fewer and fewer Christians mm. engaged in politics. So I tried to encourage some of my flock and some mm. of the other in, in uh, Christian circles in Guernsey. And uh, really, none of them wanted to be engaged. They all had excuses. Mm. You know, I've <laughs> married a wife. I've sold a, uh, I've, I've sown, uh, I've sold a field, all that sort of yes, stuff. Yes. And eventually I was praying one day and, uh, and I felt the Lord say, why don't you stand? And I said, but Lord, you've called me to lead this church and it's young and it's growing and, but it wouldn't leave me. So so I stood um, the first time I didn't get elected. And I mm. thought that was that. I thought, well, I've made the point. You know, I'm a busy man. Um, we're involved in church planting in France <laughs> as well at that time. But wow. then it didn't go away. And the next uh, the next general election in 2000, I stood again. And surprise of surprises, I did get elected on, on that occasion. So um, 
that was really that was really how I got involved in politics. Tell me a little bit about um, Guernsey politics and the the nuts and bolts of it. So people tend not to stand under a party political label. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, we've had a few parties of late, but um, they've not lasted for long. And people are fiercely independent here in Guernsey. There is an, yeah. an old old saying uh, that Guernsey people are tetu coming on, which in Guernsey French means stubborn as a mule or a donkey. <laughs> um, and I think they they like that. Um, so it is a bit different. You, you 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 write a manifesto, but as you get longer in the tooth like I am, you realise you don't promise anything because you can't. That's the difficulty. And so the first year or so of our assembly sitting is a, a bit of a scramble for mm. um, a, a decision on policy once mm. um, the ministerial posts are sort of elected. So uh, it, it does take some time and it gets some getting used to. And if you move here from elsewhere, mm. it'll be a bit confusing uh, to people. <laughs> it's constant coalition. That's what I call yeah. it. Yeah. And in terms of the numbers of deputies in the in the states of Guernsey, how, how many are there? So we've got an assembly of 40 that's made up of 38 elected from Guernsey and two from the island of Alderney. Alderney. Guernsey is a bit different than the other crown dependencies jersey and the isle of man in that mm. not only with the smallest but we're also responsible to a certain degree for alderney and sark but mm. they have some devolved uh administration for their own domestic affairs but alderney do send two representatives yeah. into our assembly so there's 40 at the moment although when i first was elected there were 57 so we've reduced the numbers a mucky business with tim farron we're talking to Jonathan Latoc, deputy in the Guernsey Parliament, the state of Guernsey, and a former chief minister. Um, Jonathan, to be uh, a, a deputy in the in the in the states of Guernsey is to represent a constituency alongside other people, or are you uh, elected for one patch just for yourself? Well, it used to be the case that we were elected on a district basis. We had seven mm. districts in Guernsey, but the last election. Um, was done on an island-wide basis, mm. which made it very different, not something that I voted for. It was done on a referendum uh, before right. that. Um, and uh, as a result, we had 119 candidates standing for 38 uh, seats. Well, now, you should have you should have seen the ballot the paper. Vote. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the ballot paper was A3 extended. Um, <laughs> but actually, we had engagement of... Mm. Uh, I was between 70 and 80 percent of the electorate, which was which is pretty good going. Mm. Um, And uh, it was certainly well run. All the election observers said that. So so basically that's what it will be next time around in 2025. So you still serve as a pastor of your church and Uh, you operate. Is is that right? Well, yes and no. (laughs) I gave up the senior role. About yes. 10 years ago, when I became chief minister, because it wasn't possible to continue the both. But mm. I am still involved in that. And through our network of churches, New Ground, which is part of New Frontiers, I mm. get involved in the French speaking world as well. So how do you balance it? The the time you spend serving the community, serving the whole of the uh, island uh, and uh, Alderney and Sark as well, uh, being a representative of the government, and yet also being very deeply involved, not just as a member of your church, but actively involved in in leadership. How how do you balance it out? That's a question for my wife, really. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She's not here. But I think she would say... uh, 
with difficulty mm. it's not easy doing that but we have consistently both of us felt uh that this is what god has called me to have uh, to have a foot in in the two camps if you like and be involved and there are wonderful opportunities because of that so uh, there are times when it's quite stressful um been going through that sort of time at the moment living out of a suitcase uh at home as well as mm. um traveling because when you live in a rock um everywhere else is overseas you know you've got you've got to yeah. really travel to, to do that um and uh, and so it isn't easy doing it but it is a privilege and there are times when we're able to i'm uh, more experienced now to plan in advance and say well we can say yes to that and say no to that so it, it is really a matter of being uh, a team uh, with my wife and my family, we've got three three daughters, uh, two of whom are married, and three grandsons as well. I've got to try and juggle juggle that. That's not too hard um, <laughs> because I decided a long time ago I might be a bad politician and even a bad pastor, but I didn't want to be a bad father or a bad husband. Well, let's go there since you raise it. We in in our extensive research, um, we, <laughs> we we saw your Instagram post where you listed. Um, should we say six identities for Jonathan Latoc, and they included um, being worshipper, uh, being husband, grandfather, father. At the bottom of your list was politician. Uh, is that a fair reflection of how you see things? I think so. Yes. I mean, I'm very glad and privileged to be involved in politics. And I think even if I wasn't elected and wasn't serving this way, I would be political. I think mm. that's always been something. Uh, well, it's been something in me as a Christian to speak up for those who don't have a voice. Mm. Um, but uh, in terms of the actual professional side of it, it is very much the bottom of that list. Uh, mm. And uh, I, I have other things that I have plenty of interest in and God has called me to as well. And you talked earlier on about uh, your feeling very strongly of being called into politics. And indeed, you trying to urge others who are Christians to engage, given that you felt there were perhaps not enough people who are Christians involved in, in the politics and the public life of, of Guernsey. Um, how would you encourage people, not just in Guernsey, but elsewhere listening to mm. this show, who were Christians, to think about politics in a way where they can meaningfully engage in their communities that's a very good question and i think it's a very relevant question for church leaders mm. and others to challenge people regularly because there are myriad ways um so for example one of the ways that i try and encourage people who show just a smidgen of interest mm. i say well what about becoming part of a school governing body to begin with yeah. normally as parents grandparents sisters aunts uncles We've got an interest in education and there's always opportunities to get involved. And that is a very, very important part of our community and the, the, the governance of our communities in, in terms of education. So that's that's one way. And then through that, I think if that's a stepping stone, you can uh, soon find people who then develop uh, an idea of what the political world actually in, involves and then you know there's local councils obviously in the UK and here in Guernsey we have our own equivalents of those things mm. and normally you're volunteering in those so it does take up time but I think once you've started in a small way 
um, rather than jump in when sadly there's been some people I've known who've who've gone straight into the sort of national level and mm. found that um, oh that's that's too tough for me. Yeah. I would encourage them to take the smaller steps, and we need people like that. I think it was D.L. Moody who said um, many people want to do great things for God, but actually we need people who will do the we need a, a myriad of people who will do the small things for God. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I try and encourage people to do. Uh, a final question. We've not really touched upon the fact that you spent more than two years at a very important part in in Guernsey's history as the chief minister of Guernsey. And um, what did that what was that like? I mean, presumably it involved enormous amounts of responsibility because you are responsible pretty, pretty much for everything um, within the state of Guernsey as a, a, a as a. Uh, independent, effectively, uh, state. What what was those? What was that two and a bit years like? Uh, well, if I had any hair, I'd have pulled it all out. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it was a great privilege. Um, it wasn't um, without uh, its difficulties. Certainly, in terms of uh, the effect on my family. I mean, obviously, mm. we're not a large jurisdiction, and we're not a threatening jurisdiction. We haven't got armies or military to, to deal with, but we have all the issues that a yeah. larger uh, jurisdiction would deal with. So um, I found myself really um, thinking about the Beatitudes a lot mm. during that time, mm. and particularly about being a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, a mm. peacemaker, being intentional about particularly uh, members of of my cabinet, we don't call it that here, but that effectively the ministers around the, the, the council table mm. and trying to get them to agree with one another. And then in those days, we didn't have a, a minister for external relations. So the chief minister did that role as well. Um, being a, an advocate for Guernsey uh, overseas in terms of our trade and our relationships with nearby France and obviously the United Kingdom. So mm. it was a peace making role and I felt very much that calling that we read about in in Matthew in the Beatitudes. That's a great way to finish and actually quite a good encouragement and rebuke for me and everybody else who's involved in politics listening to this to be a peacemaker which is to be uh, more than just a peacekeeper not just to sit on your hands but to actively seek to bring people together. Uh, Jonathan we're delighted to hear your story about how you bring your life as a church leader and as a, a senior politician uh, together. And we're really grateful to you for your witness and for your time with us today. It's been a pleasure. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It might be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, this week, Miranda has been in touch and she says this. When we married over 20 years ago, we chose the traditional service and the vicar sang from Psalm 128 that we might see our children's children and peace upon Israel. I hope to see my children's children one day, but peace upon Israel seems as far away as it did then. What do you pray? when praying for Israel, and do you feel any hope? Oh, Miranda, that's a great question and a tough one to answer, but I'll do my best. I do pray for Israel and Gaza um, daily at the moment. And what do I pray? I pray for peace. I pray for uh, the innocent to be protected and the guilty to face justice. I pray for wisdom for the leaders 
of Israel. Uh, and I also pray for wisdom for those who may possibly be in a peaceful leadership position within the Palestinian communities as well. I pray for wisdom for our politicians in the UK, that our thoughts would be with the welfare and the well-being of every individual in Israel and Gaza um, and not thinking, dare I say, how we can weaponize it for our own political purposes in the UK. Um, so I think for us as Christians, pe people have different views as what Israel means. Perhaps Psalm 128, which calls upon peace upon Israel, refers to the people of Israel today, the church, those who follow Christ. But it can mean the state of Israel. It can mean the Jewish people. And we want peace upon all of those. I also pray, and I think it's right to do this, that the people of what we refer to as the Holy Land might actually fix their eyes on the Holy One and put their trust in Jesus. And let's, whilst we're doing that, pray for those who are Christians in Israel and Gaza, that they'd be protected and also they will be a light and a witness for others. They'd be able to share the gospel of Jesus in these most appalling of circumstances. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's close our time together in prayer. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jonathan Latoc and for his service uh, of, uh, of you uh, in his community and serving his people in politics. Uh, we thank you for the way he balances out family life, church life and his politics. And I pray that that might be something that uh, all of us involved in politics would do more successfully than we do. Uh, Lord, we also thank you for his witness in encouraging those who are Christians to consider public life and politics. And I pray that you might um, put your finger on some people listening today, even uh, to this show, that they might consider whether uh, you are calling them into public life some way. Open those doors for those people. Give them clear indication of your will. And I pray you'd equip them uh, as they follow your will into public life. And Lord, again, we lift up to you the people uh, of Israel, of Palestine. We pray for peace there. We pray for justice uh, we pray for an, an end to hostility. We pray for reconciliation. Above all, Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified in that land and that people will turn to you in their thousands, their hundreds of thousands. And we pray for wisdom for our own leaders, that we would, um, between us, act in ways which are faithful, which are about seeking resolution and peace and justice and not about seeking our own advantage. And these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premier.plus forward slash A Mucky Business. See you soon.